This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to the Outdoor Drive Podcast. This is episode 103. You guys are joining in with us. This is your boy, East Coast Trev. And this is Steve. Just Steve hanging out again. Yeah, man. Calling in, just chilling and killing it. That's the plan, man. We're rolling in hot this week. We got doves and deer all on the same night, man. I can't wait to see what pops. So so take take me take me through it. Let's just let's hop right into it, man. So doves and deer in one night, dude. What's going on out there? Wow. Our good buddy Peter over there, you know, Hunt Country Wildlife, he me call and said, hey, dove season in Virginia. So let's go ahead and swing over here and get this uh, this field covered. We got doves flying. And he said, and if the doves aren't flying, we shoot deer. And we talked. I said, well, why don't we do both? Get out there early, get the doves flying around, and go pop in there and do some uh, early season doe. Looking forward to doing some September hunt for the first time in a long time. So what do they have? Like a, it's like a management se- season or an early season down there. Yeah. It, it's an early doe only archery season. Uh, some unit or some units. Listen to me. I think I'm out thinking I'm out West again. Uh, some counties out here have early season doe as well as early season urban permits. Wow. So where we'll be looking at is uh, early season doe. We're just going to go out there and clean house on some ag and see what we can do. That's awesome, man. So so when does that normally come in? Uh, that came in back on the 4th. Cool. Oh yeah, dude. That's badass. Yeah, it's something that I'm going to definitely look into and see if I can't fill out my nanny tags way early in the season. And uh, I mean, it's just a matter of finding those right places in the right counties and mm-hmm. making it happen. So That's awesome, man. So we, we ring in here now. The 15th, so that would be, what, Thursday? Wednesday? Uh, yes, sir. Something like that. So Wednesday. our season would have been started. I'm not going to be, well, maybe hunt in the afternoon after work and then hopefully get in um, on Thursday, the 16th. Nice. Uh, so hoping hoping that plays out. Uh, we'll see what happens. Excited to be back, man. I know everybody's been just knocking them down. Like, 
crazy, dude. Like, there's deer going down everywhere. When is the last time you remember this weather through early September being down in the 40s, 50s, in the mornings? Yeah. You know, I've never seen so many velvet deer drop. You've got a it's cold incredible. front open a weekend in September. Seriously, that, that doesn't happen. You know what? Speaking of getting jacked up about it and everything going on, I think that what better time to, to kind of bring up kind of what we've been going on. We dropped a teaser uh, here on Monday about kind of one of the things that we got going on in the podcast. Um, so here tomorrow, you guys will listen to the Outdoor Drive podcast on Thursday today uh, while you're tuning in here. But you have to look forward to tomorrow. That's and right. And super excited for tomorrow. And what that is is we've now started a mini series called Tales from the tailgate um this was kind of brought to us by a good friend and listener uh, steve mardick who's been a follower from ours from the beginning he's been a great friend uh does a ton of archery shooting with me and he's became one of one of the boys in my opinion and uh so he came to me and had an idea that to have like a little tiny mini series with a couple of guys during the rut and kind of keep things going well, then me and Steve kind of collaborated with it and kind of brought it to the next level where we're actually going to have a full on 365 days a year, all around the season, all around the clock, tails from the tailgate. So what it will be is guys that have knocked down deer or shot a bunch of ducks or killed a big fish or whatever the case may be. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a 30, 30 minute uh, mini series podcast with them so just like straight into it hunting stories what happened like as if me and steven just rolled up to you man you're on public land you're standing at the tailgate and we ask you what happened so yeah. it's going to be just cool f- right into it badass podcast you know and just just a straight recap no fancy anything about you know give us your background or any of that no just tell us a story we're just going to share that story Mm-hmm. And when it's done, it's done. And we're just going to catalog it. And this is one of those things that, you know, it may pop out on a Friday. It may pop out on a Monday. It may pop out three weeks from now. You may get two in one week. It's all off the hip based on, hey, this person wants to share their story. We're going to share their story. Big deer, little deer, big fish, little fish. Doesn't matter if they have a story to share. We're going to share it bear turkey doesn't matter just good old haunting stories kind of bring it back to what the nitty-gritty is uh, because a lot of these deer or or anything are showcased in january february well enough time of that we don't need that we want them showcased when it is i want to hear guys- deer killing stories during deer killing season That's not right. after and, and get you all jacked up and get you up in the tree man let's do this let's right. let's 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 get this thing going so me and steven have started tales from the tailgate um hope you guys like it Reach out with all your thoughts and stuff. Um, no further ado than start off with the man himself, King Kurt. Uh, after taking an absolute giant muley with, on his dad's birthday with the boys out west uh, with Clint and Devin. So I'm really looking forward to hearing this. Yeah, it's uh, I hope be you guys really cool are too. Story. No questions asked, man. And and with that, we're, we're partnering up with the, um, the Boning League. That's right. They stepped up. They want to partner with us. They want to help us out with that one. So that one's going to be, you know, partnered with those boys. And if you guys haven't gotten over to Bow Hunting League, get on over there. It's a little bit too late to get in on their um, 
their deer contest this year, but it's always cool to watch the the deer hit the ground and kind of watch these guys battle out for for the winning team for the, for the big bucks. So. But it's also a great opportunity to start practicing for the uh, one shot for next year. Yeah, that's definitely one of the coolest now. things. Just saying. <laughs> you're one, you're hurting yourself it. in the season. Two, you're hurting yourself come the tournament. That's so true. So true. Well, man, you know, thanks to those guys for partnering up with us on that one, Tales of Tailgate. But we're really excited. Hope you guys like it, too. Um, but let's thank the other guys, man. Let's get this thing underway. We got a pretty cool episode with a good friend of ours, follower of the podcast from the beginning also. Um, we're going to talk ducks and dogs. Yes, sir. Well, it'll be kind of cool. Why don't you go cool. ahead and so, run through the uh, the all the support that we've been getting, everyone who helps make this thing happen, and go from there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Zeus Broadheads, they are the official broadhead of the Outdoor Drive podcast, newerarchery.com. Get on over there. Get yours. Cut the Zeus loose here this coming up season. Uh, Nor'easter Game Calls, get them in close. Nor'eastergamecalls.com. Uh, get your custom Outdoor Drive series grunt tube. It's one of the best in the business when it comes to it. Not only that, but it's a work of art. Also, Gator Outdoors, GatorOutdoors.com, outfitting the working class. They're rocking the true timber this season uh, with all of their apparel. Uh, so go on and get it over there and get that stuff going on. Out on the limb, out on the limb, MFG.com, your custom platforms for your saddle hunters, camera arms for you, self hunters, and for you mobile hunters, they have the hush stand. Out on the limb, MFG.com. Also, uh, who am I missing on that one? I'm bad at this. Hey, you're doing pretty good. Oh, Latitude. How could I not forget? How could I forget about the Latitude? Latitude Outdoors. Hey, it's all right. You can uh, just leave your ass hanging out there, literally. That's right. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> like I, I did, did it on there. purpose. Method, method two. Uh, it's a two-panel part saddle. We talked about this a lot. I mean, that comfortability for getting up there and those long day sits, man. I'm really excited to get up in there. They got all kinds of cool stuff. They got their knee pads. They got a lot of stuff going on over there. LatitudeOutdoors.com. And if you like your one panel, just the method. Go get the method. That one will do you just fine. So whatever. It's all good. We thank you guys for uh, supporting us throughout all of our journeys and all of our nonsense. Definitely. Well, now that we've run through that, I think we should catch up on what's going on in the world. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Cool. Bringing you the news for the cruise is our good buddy, Mike Salter. Take it away, Mike. Hey, everyone. We're going to kick this one off in New Hampshire, where a bill which was supposed to be pushed off until 2022 has resurfaced. House Bill 118 would allow anti-hunting organizations to nominate people to serve on the State Fish and Game Commission. The bill would also reduce the number of years a nominee must hold a license from five out of the last 10 to two of the last five years, and removes the requirement for nominating organizations to have an interest in hunting, fishing, and trapping. Instead, an organization that has an interest in habitat conservation can, uh, would now be able to make nominations. So two hearings have been scheduled on the bill, with the first being yesterday, uh, and the second is scheduled for September 22nd at 9 a.m. in the Legislative Office Building in Room 309. So this is super important. Um, if you hunt New Hampshire, if you want to hunt New Hampshire, even if you just care about not having this become a slippery slope, please reach out to those legislators uh, in New Hampshire to oppose this bill uh, and keep these anti-hunting groups from being able to get onto commissions that determine um, what we do and don't do for hunting and fishing and trapping. So 
Now to Minnesota, where grouse hunters need to be aware of a season change. Uh, the sharp-tailed grouse population in east-central Minnesota has declined um, so drastically that the season has been called off uh, for that zone for this year. Uh, this is a result of a decade of steep declines in the region uh, focused around habitat loss. So big important change there, no sharp-tailed grouse hunting in east-central Michigan. So now let's turn to some good news. Uh, first in Pennsylvania, where hunters will now be allowed to carry digital hunting licenses. The Game Commission announced the change this past Monday. The new Huntfish PA uh, licensing system is equipped to issue digital licenses and permits. Uh, hunters and trappers who have already purchased licenses can download PDF copies of their licenses and permits by logging into their profile on Huntfish PA uh, and access their license history. So moving forward, all who purchase licenses and tags, either online or at an issuing agent, will be emailed PDF copies as long as they provide an email address. Uh, harvest tags will still need to be carried for all species requiring such tags uh, for hunting and trapping. So paper tags will still need to be carried, um, but licenses and tags uh, will allow to be electronic now, which is great. So now uh, I'd like to thank Cliff Cadet for sending this one. This is an update in New Jersey and a promising development on the bear hunting season, which I reported on just a few weeks ago, uh, is being canceled due to a new management plan not being in place. Well, this week, the New Jersey Fish and Game Council approved an emergency order for an October bear hunt. Now, this order does need to be signed by both the DEP commissioner and governor, but it does give some hope for salvaging uh, season for this year. So hopefully more to come on that. Now to Florida, where three decades ago, a prohibition on harvest and possession of Goliath grouper took effect. Uh, this may now come to an end as the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission is considering a plan to allow up to 200 fishing permits a year for the Goliath grouper. The commission will consider the proposal on October 6th. If approved, starting in 2023, applicants would need to pay $10 to enter a lottery for a chance at one of the permits. And if selected in the lottery, the permit will cost $500 and the season would run from March 1st through May 31st. In state waters outside of southeast Florida from Palm Beach County south through the Atlantic coast of Monroe County. Lastly, uh, with all the hunters hitting the woods, um, please be aware of CWD and EHD uh, across the country. There have been a lot of reports lately coming in, a couple from people. Um, Gene sent me some stuff on deer farms out in the Midwest with CWD reports. And I know that Matt Wilsey has been. Um, promote you know showing some stuff of ehd hitting hard in parts of new york so as hunters we should be vigilant of these diseases and the symptoms and please report <clears throat> any odd behaviors in in deer in your local area to your wildlife agency um that would greatly be appreciated you know keep the populations healthy so with that as always if you have any news to send my way it'd be greatly appreciated some stuff trickling in here and there um, so thanks to all that have been doing that. You can reach out to me on Facebook at Mike Salter or on Instagram at bearded underscore bowhunter21. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. Appreciate it, Mike. We thank you for giving us the news for your cruise. If you guys don't forget, man, get on over there. Get him some news. Uh, things are going on. You know, poachers are poaching. Send uh, Mike a message. Let him know what's going on in your, your neck of the woods. <laughs> so um, many, so many thoughts and comments. Hey could have just thrown out when you said that but you know what that that's all in the past 
you know, we there's no need to uh, rock it forward with that. So let's, rock it let, let's just <laughs> he said rock it let's forward. Let's just carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess let's take our drive out to North Dakota and join up with our good friends over at uh, Wild Gun Prairie, Prairie Gun Dogs. Yeah, I was gonna say, man, how much have you been drinking? I a lot that, of agua. that water, man. It's got you tweaked. Mm. Not used to it, are you? Well, let's get over to Devin, man. Here we go. All right, we're back on the phone with our boy, Devin. Good, long supporter of the podcast. Devin, you there, buddy? Yes, sir. You're still there, huh? All the way from, where Where are you calling in from? Rolla, North Dakota. They have service there? Uh, barely. That's like, yeah, I was going to say, that's in the East Bumblefuck nowhere. Yeah, we, we, we bounce off Canadian Towers quite a bit. I was going to say, it's like a little Canadia there. Pretty much. You guys got big deer there or no? Uh, we got big everything. Big elk, moose, deer. I can't believe it. Like, like we've been friends for quite some time now, and we've been friends since, you know, the last podcast that we uh, happen to be part of. But um, you always sending me constant pictures of just giant deer and moose and elk and pheasant and you name it. Always shooting snow goose out of the tractor. There's just oh, a little yeah. bit of everything out there. There's a little bit of everything. You never know what you're going to hunt from day to day. Yeah. So what made you actually move out there, man? Like, why would you move to Rolla, North Dakota? Well, see, I was born here, but uh, I grew up in Iowa. So I came back here every summer for the for summer break and uh, Christmas vacation. I came up here to the family farm. And and uh, when I was getting uh, into my last couple of years of high school, I decided I was going to go into farming with grandpa. And uh, that brought me back here. So that's awesome, man. Well, why don't we turn the key, man, get everything underway. Why don't you tell everyone ex- exactly who you are, where you're from, and a little bit of what you do. Uh, Devin Tumula. I'm from Rolla, North Dakota. I, uh, I farm and uh, train and raise hunting dogs for a living. And uh, this year is uh, going to be a good year. I'm getting ready to get into a full-time guiding here this October for waterfowl and pheasants. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. Man, that's crazy. So in, in that process of being a, a guide out there, is it's something else. Yeah, it's not. They don't make it easy, easy for you to get into it. Um, so you have to, there's two ways you could get into it. You have to either A, have enough farmland. Uh, you know, if you're going to guide waterfowl, you got to have enough waterfowl on your land to do it or deer, you know, whatever you're going to do. Because uh, if you go that route, you cannot guide off of your land. And then the other way, you have to pass your guide test and get on with the outfitter and then you got a guide for two years with them before you could go and do your own outfitter wow that's crazy and then you were saying something about you have to have a valid hunting license in that state for such a for a a certain period of time yeah yeah so like if uh so like you for instance if you were going to come here and guide you would have to have your you would have to hold your waterfall license and hunt here for three consecutive years before you could even take the test that's wild. And what what kind of things are like on the test? Oh, dude, I don't even remember it. It's like it's a lot of trick questions, honestly. Uh, like very fine line, you know. Like there's like three of the four answers are correct, but which of the three is the most correct? You know. So it's kind of like a like kind of like how you you take it in, right? So like yeah. perception. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's. The, I'm not gonna lie. I, I I took the test last year and I failed by one question. Uh, 
there's I believe there's 60 questions on the test and you can get 12 wrong. I missed 13. Uh, this year I passed. They don't tell you how many you got or how many you missed when you pass the test. So I don't know if I missed zero questions or if I missed 10 questions this time. But uh, it's all different. Like uh, you got true, false, uh, multiple choice. A couple of them are like uh, fill in the blank and uh, like daylight ones where you got to you got to figure out um, timing and stuff like that for legal shooting light, et cetera. That's crazy, man. That's nuts. I didn't think that it was so in depth with trying to be a guide in a different well, state. I, I was always under the impression that uh, legal shooting light for waterfowl is when you can see them in the sky, you shoot. <laughs> uh, you know, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, if you can't see them, obviously it's not the right time. <laughs> well, well, the thing with waterfowl too is that you can. Well, I know here is a half an hour before sunrise, and that sunrise. I mean, a half an hour before sunrise, it's only literally a silhouette. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care where you are. I mean, it, any that shooting legal shooting light for waterfowl, it's literally a, a silhouette. But then you can't like here. You can only shoot till sunset. Yep. And it's I don't understand why it should be vice versa because I think you can see lar- farther at last light than you can at first light. I don't get yeah, it. I, I don't understand it. Well, especially for like bird identification purposes, like when exactly. they're coming in first light, you can't tell if you're shooting a gadwell or a mallard or. You know, you could, t- you know, big duck, little duck, you know, you can guess a little bit, but you really can't see it the first five to 10 minutes where if you're shooting 10 minutes past sunset, you still got plenty of light to, to ID that bird. Right. That's nuts, dude. I just don't, I don't get it. And you guys get like the first part of the flyway. Yeah. Yeah. So our birds are weird right here. Um, we're kind of like in between, uh, well, I mean, we would be considered the central flyway here, but the right where i'm at the birds almost kind of split we'll get a good push right here and a lot of them then will split west and east so they like hit us and then they like they go they go east and down to like devil's lake or they go all the way west to like uh kramer and bismarck and shoot down the rivers over there that's wild dude that's nuts and but you're getting them and they're not even full plume though so you're just shooting a bunch of brown ducks oh gosh yes yes it's we shoot ugly ducks there's like if somebody's expecting to shoot uh wall worthy birds the first two three weeks with me you're probably going to be disappointed because uh, they're ugly that's nuts man so is the name of the guide service going to be ugly duckling guide service <laughs> nah it, it it should be i'm actually going to be guiding for uh uh mouse river outfitters uh, over they're based over in Kramer. Um, Ivy actually met them when she went to uh, the Great American Outdoor Show a couple of years ago with Spy High, and she ran into them. And then when I went the next year, that's when I met up with them, and and we got we started talking guiding and me working for them a little bit, and it kind of just snowballed from there. So, so when we're, while we're on the subject, anyways. Why don't we just wind it back just a tad bit, man? Why don't you tell a little bit about what Spy High is? Because that's kind of like where you've kind of gotten your feet wet into the hunting industry as as a whole, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Spy High is basically it's a camera mounting system. Uh, it's uh, it's used to get your, your trail cameras up off the ground. You know, people can't see them, can't steal them. Everything's done from the ground. Um, you have a little camera mount. Uh, that's got a quarter 20 on the bottom that you can mount your your camera onto, and then from there you have your your pull system and there's two sides you've got to install you got to release that'll allow you to 
put the camera up into the tree, adjust it as you need. And then, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So it's, it's really nice for, you know, for theft, hunting public land, uh, even, even on private land for trespassers, I use them all over the farm. Um, it's a great tool. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, I use a ton of them. I love them. We're not supposed to use them on public here because we're not allowed to screw into trees, but yep. I'd rather just take the fine and screw into the tree and not have to worry about it, honestly. Because I'd rather a I lose a camera at a hundred something bucks than the fine. I'd rather just deal with the fine and not have to worry about it. Yep. But weren't they designed anyways to keep them away from bears? Isn't that what they actually designed them for originally? Yeah, yeah. The inventor. Uh, so uh, Ivy's cousin Brad, uh, Brad Martin. He's the one who runs the company, and his father-in-law is the one who invented it. Uh, he's a federal trapper in Montana doing uh, grizzly studies. And uh, the bears kept getting his camera. And so he was bringing a ladder way up into the mountains to put cameras up high where, you know, it's not as easy for them to get to them. You know, they're not smelling them. They're like out of sight, out of mind. And well, he got tired of carrying ladders up there, I can only imagine. And uh, he kind of come up with a rudimentary spy high system. And uh, a few years went by and they, they, they started doing some patent work and, and got that all patented out. And uh kind of led us to where we're at now yeah it's a wild system man it, it definitely is and it makes so much sense but that's kind of so you've kind of traveled around with them and met all kinds of crazy people like you know like the guy that you're going to go and work for this season and yep yeah yeah we've met uh we've we've got to meet meet uh a lot of people that i've known through facebook and uh i've never got to meet until going to the going to all these shows i mean that's how we met yep. i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. yeah, because now you've talked me into buying a dog from you. Yeah, you bought a dog from me. You sell dogs for me. <laughs> it kind of get kind of got crazy. Devin texted me one time. He says, "Hey, hey, Trev, I'm coming down to Pennsylvania. I got two dogs. You want one?" I said, "No, Devin, I'm good." He goes, "I know you're looking for a pup." I go, "No, I'm good, man." And then, so then time goes on, and Devin goes, "Hey, uh, one of my pups is having a red." You want a red? And I'm like, yes, yes, I want a red. <laughs> so <laughs> that ended up working out. He was supposed to, weren't you supposed to bring it out? I think you were going to bring Ruby out to us, um, but it was COVID time. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of when all that stuff was, was kind of kicking by. We were going to come out there and do some fishing and stuff like that. And uh, it just, it just didn't work out for us. But uh, the, the next batch of pups worked out pretty good. And we, we got to do a little bit of sea ducking out there with you and, that was a good time you guys had a absolute ball yeah that was way different than hunting the prairie yeah and i gave i gave i gave it right back to you i had bought a dog from you and then i gave it back to him and taxed it me yeah then you well, had to get everything <laughs> well yeah well it, it kind of you know i i ivy's learning to do that so i mean mm -hmm. it's cost me a little bit i guess but yeah is she still keeping with it yeah well she uh <clears throat> Things just got busy for us this spring and this summer, you know, with uh, buying that other house and getting that ready for the for guiding and and uh, and farming and and all these dogs. We've been we've been doing a lot of started dogs here this year and uh, things got busy. So this winter, she's probably uh, once things settle back down after harvest and hunting season, she's going to go back and and uh, get some more lessons on them and then hopefully get going on our own studio here. So, oh, that's awesome. Because is there any type of taxidermy close to where you're at? Uh, yeah. So my, uh, 
my cousin Trace there, I believe you sent him a walleye, I believe, right? Yep. All times. Yep. So he's he's not far from us, but he just uh, he just does fish and and big game, and so there's not really any uh, uh, bird taxidermists up here. Wow, I'm really surprised with it being the way that it is there that you wouldn't have a a taxidermist right there in town. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's a lot, but you know, for me, you know, in in two hours, I could drive halfway across the state. Like that's nothing for me. You know, I'm I'm two hours to drive a hundred plus miles. That's nothing. You know, so for people to have to drive a little ways here isn't always like the end of the world. Cause I'm, I'm 50 minutes from a Walmart. Jeez. And so it, it is, it is weird. Like in the aspect, like that there's no tax bird taxidermists up here, but everybody up here is used to having things so few and far between that. It just kind of used to it. It's just wild to me that you have, cause you're constantly driving somewhere and it's far as hell to get there. Like, like you, we were talking before the show of the doctor is like two and a half hours away from you. Yeah, two two and a half hours for us to go to to have a baby. That's nuts, man. I couldn't imagine that. Could you imagine that, Steve? No, I'm I'm sitting here in my head envisioning that. Honey, my water broke. Well, great. You better hold it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I was saying to him because we were talking about it earlier, and I was like, so what happens if like it happens fast, like two and a half hours? She's just gonna have. I mean, it's she's just gonna have the baby is, is in the wheat where field. You, like plan for the in-laws to meet you at the intersection down the road in case they need to give birth as you drive yeah no we uh we, we we've been we've been worried we've been worried about what what we're gonna have to do it's worked out the first two the first two kids we went in for you know a, a checkup two weeks before and and they just you know oh you're close enough we're gonna just keep you and induce you and i think a lot of that has to do with us being so far away where you know, if, if her water did break, I'd be like, I'd be like uh, Reese Bobby doing 95 down the down the interstate. But. <laughs> Damn it, Ricky. <laughs> I guess that's where the start of like the police officer giving birth on the side of the highway. It probably started there in Rolla. He probably Jeez. <laughs> somewhere up here. Well, you're no stranger to giving birth of anything. Wow, that sounds a little creepy, but yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> sorry. Where are you going with this? Yeah, yeah. no, just always center. No, I know it's it's ah. no, because you're always you're always breeding breeding and having puppies and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, well, yeah, where uh, I uh, I try not to have too many litters, you know, too many litters a year. Um, it's usually just one or two batches. Um, and uh, I'm really, I'm really in particular about uh, about my dogs, dogs that I'm going to use for breeding, dogs that I'm going to keep just for a little while to use for hunting, and uh, not just. I'm not out here to breed. I'm not out here to be a to be a backyard breeder. I'm by no means some of the big like the big timers that are selling dogs for fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars a pup and and uh, running hunt tests and, and trials all over you know all over the U S. But but. Uh, you know, I I produce pretty quality dogs, and uh, I haven't I haven't heard of any dogs that have been bought for what they're bought for, whether it's police training or or hunting, shed hunting, waterfowl, or just just a home dog, and them not not turning out to be just absolutely great dogs. So, where where did it kind of start for you that you kind of wanted to become a dog breeder? It was so so everything just uh, just completely happened by chance. I bought, uh, 
I bought Chief, my uh, my yellow, yellow male here that I lost this spring. I got him as a senior, going into my senior year, I got him uh, when we were going back to Iowa from a summer vacation up here. And I got back to Iowa, and my good buddy, his dad, used to train dogs. And uh, they're, the two, they're the guys that got me into waterfowl hunting down there, actually. And uh, Chad asked me to look at the pedigree, so I gave it to him, and he goes, holy shit, Devin, do you know what, you know what you have here? I was like, I have no idea. He's like, this is like one of the most famous hunting lines of, of all time. And, uh, he chief is actually out of a uh, Kellogg pointing lab lines. Um, which I, I, I knew nothing about lines or breedings or anything like that. When I got him, I just wanted a big yellow male for go get birds. Right. And, uh, they set, they hooked me up with, uh, with a trainer there in town and I would go be bird boy for him and he'd help me work chief and, and, uh, it turned out to be, to be a blessing. I pretty much put myself through college training dogs and, and, uh, and once I got out of, got out of college, I started having a, a litter or two here and there. And, and, um, that's just worked out really good. But that's where it all started, huh? That's a crazy, that's a crazy start because now seeing what you've, what you've achieved in that time is kind of wild. Yeah. It just, just, just completely by luck. I mean, uh, like, honestly, like I, I picked up chief and, uh, I only paid $400 for chief when I bought him, you know, I was just buying, that was all the money that I had, you know, when I was in school and, uh, and I got him and it just, it just lucked out that he just turned out to be a phenomenal dog and be from a, a, a top notch bloodline so that's nuts man so how many litters do you think that you've had thus far uh i don't know no more than i don't know i'd say 11 or 12 maybe probably not even that wow what is it what are some of the coolest places that you've sent your dogs to to go do to go do um well probably the probably the coolest stuff is is we, we've had quite a few dogs out of chief, especially uh, go to be like drug canines, go, go be police dogs. Uh, so that, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I've had a lot of dogs go to be, go to, you know, hellacious hunting homes where they retrieve hundreds of birds a year and, and stuff like that. But it's pretty cool seeing your dogs go to be not necessarily what they were bred to be for, you know, I'm, I'm breeding for hunting dogs, but I'm also breeding for, you know, trainability and, and, and athletic ability. And, and, uh, they just, the shoe fit them really good for that. And I, I got hooked up with a guy in Fargo and, and, uh, things kind of just took off from there for, for supplying him drug canines. So that's nuts. That's pretty mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. When you first told me that story, I was like, hold on. This and, and mind you, I didn't even know this before I bought the dog from Devin. I was like, yeah, I want a red. And then he, we start talking on the phone a ton, and then he tells me all this, and I'm like, hold on. That's pretty darn cool. I don't think it gets any cooler than that, to be honest, because like, that would be like, that's just knowing that your dog has some of the best nose that there is. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and, and, don't, and don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I've sent, I've sent dogs there that, you know, they're very, very picky about uh, – you know, they got to meet certain criteria. And if they flunk out of one thing or right. if they're slightly behind one thing, they just scrub those dogs out right away. Like they don't have time. They don't, they could keep that dog and probably get them past it, but they don't, they just scrub them out there. You know, those guys are in a hurry. They, this is what they want and they need it now. Um, 
And I've had, I think I've only had two, maybe three. I've sent dozens of dogs to them. I think I've had two, maybe three that, that, uh, didn't quite meet criteria, you know, kind of last second, you know, they're, they're, they kind of just lost interest in, in doing that. And then they went on to be fantastic hunting dogs. I would bring them dogs back and I would finish them out for hunting. And two of them went to go be guide dogs. And one went to just, uh, some old guy bought them and, uh, just for, you know, weekend hunting dog. Someone must've been really happy when they got that dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I know I would. Yeah, those dogs were uh, pretty pretty trained up already. It made it made things pretty easy for me. So, man, I really want to dive into a little bit of like what it takes from the beginning. So, like when you get your puppy at seven eight weeks, where do you think where where would you start? Like, what would be the first thing to have? You know, a good working dog, not specifically one thing or another. Just maybe you know, just its its normal obedience and like where would you start to try and turn that dog into a gun dog? All right, so I I go 150% against most of the grain on this here. So with when I would get when I get training dogs in, right? Those dogs come in and I need, you know, I've got 2 months, 3 months, whatever the clients want them there for. So I I I you know, you really got to push those dogs. But like my personal dogs, I honestly don't do I do the majority of the work after they're a year old. Really? So you yes. just hold on to the dog until. Yeah. So, year old. you know, so I, 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 I play with them. I do some bird intro. I do some gun intro. <laughs> You've got your own theme song back there, buddy. You gotta be quiet. I, I just blanked that stuff out. I was trying to figure out why you guys were shit grinning on here. <laughs> that was awesome. And, uh, You've got a musician in the family as well. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> no, and uh, so, you know, I, w- I always let my dogs just be pups. Uh, you know, I-, I do some 22 work with them, get them up to probably like a 20 gauge by the time they're like three, four months old. And then I start doing a lot of bird work with them. And I I train my dogs to be hunting dogs first because I want to make sure that they have the drive, that they're going to have the instinct, the natural ability, all that obedience can come whenever. If we're being honest, you, you could, you could obedience train a seven-year-old dog. You can't always make a seven-year-old dog be a hunting dog. So you want to so lead I, that right out from the beginning. Yeah. So like, if I'm going to keep a dog, I want to make, I want to see its natural ability. You know, I want to see how it's going to respond around birds without me forcing it, you know, basically, telling it what to do i want to see like chief for instance once we got into the field i would basically give that dog no commands if we went pheasant hunting there got to be a point about a year and a half in when he would hit if we were working uh for instance 10 guys wide pheasant hunting he would hit the end of the line and he would automatically turn back and he would zigzag and i never taught that he just not just natural ability i mean he just naturally did that and so that's what all my dogs, I just, I train them to be hunting dogs like Preacher right now, uh, like Chief's Chief's replacement. I did retrieving work. I did bumper work. I did same thing. And now we're hammering out obedience here going into his first real year of hunting. That's insane. That's that's like against, like you said, completely and utterly against the grain of what everybody else would do because they would try and break in the obedience to start 
Yeah. And then work them as, as field dogs after that. But then you don't even know what you have for a dog at that point. You've put all this time and effort into it and not even know the capabilities of the dog. Yep. And so, and like I said, like, I would never even think about doing that with a fine dog. If like, if, if, if like, if you were to bring Ruby to me, unless you planned on leaving Ruby with me for a year and a half, we're going to go right into obedience so that I can have that dog doing everything I need it to do. And then we're going to start training sheds or we're going to start training waterfowl. But like with my dogs, my dogs would always get put on the back burner when I would have training dogs in because clients dogs always come first. And so I think that was always part of the reasons why, why I didn't obedience train them right away. Cause I'd be tired of obedience training. I just want to take my dogs on birds. Well, it worked out so good with chief and my first couple of dogs that that's just how I started training all my dogs was hunting and then refine them. It makes perfect sense though. I mean, it definitely makes perfect sense. I, I actually, I agree with it a lot. I, I can see it in my head, how it works out because of the fact that the dog's going to go out and run its natural instinct. Cause I almost think when they're that young and you put that pressure of obedience on them, I could see how that could interfere with their instinct of, Hey, I'm just going to go do, they're going to sit and go, I want him to tell me to go do. Yep. So exactly. It, it makes sense. And, and like there, there's always, there's always going to be big arguments between, you know, between hunters and, and, uh, at field trialers. And I'm sure there's going to be some trainers here or there that listen to this and are going to say, I don't know what I'm talking about this and that, but trial dogs, for instance, I've got a buddy, really good buddy from Minnesota. His dad has master hunter, uh, Labrador dogs outstanding. He's got points in the, and, and, and NRC and, and all that stuff he's got, he's a fantastic dog. But when we would take him out hunting and we would take chief out hunting, say we shot five ducks, chief would go out there. He would mark all five ducks. I would just get him on the line and he would go until he got them. Now those other dogs like field trial dogs, for instance, you're commanding every single little thing about them. You know, they get out 50 yards, you whistle, get them to sit, you send them right, you send them left. They don't have, not to say that some of them don't have that natural instinct, but a lot of them don't have that natural ability where they mark that bird and then they mark the next bird and they mark the next bird and they need to watch their handler to tell them what to do. So when you get into like uh, like real hunting scenarios, though, I've seen a lot of trial dogs, you know, fail when it comes to when it comes to actually hunting. Because now they're not being able to be the dog that they should be. They're well, just, well, they're used to they're relying on required, the yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're relying, everything is reliant on you. Which guys like us, we don't, we don't really care for that. We just want a dog that's going to do what it needs to do when it's in the field. Well, hell, let's face it, I'm too stupid to do all that. I want a dog that I can just turn loose and know it's going <laughs> to do its job. <laughs> And what, so, so do you, when you're, when you're starting to train with that, you're doing it with bumpers. Are you hiding stuff? Like, how do you go about doing that now that it's in that, in that, in that training in the beginning? Uh, so, uh, with, so bumper work, I always start off with, with singles. I don't even, I don't make them sit. I just play with them. I'm just trying to build up, build up prey drive, right? Like throw it, get it, throw it, get it, throw it, get it, you know, just bring it back. And then you build on it, you know, you slowly add time, you know, you're going to work them longer and longer and longer. Once they're excelling on that, 
Then I start getting them to sit. And then from sit to release, sit to release. And this, this, this is like with training dogs, right? This is not with, not, not with personal, personal dogs. So I would do the same thing, but it would be like further spread with my personal dogs. So like with my training dogs, you know, single bumper, retrieve, 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 get them sitting, throw, wait till command, fetch. Once they get that figured out, then I'll start running piles and, you know, you know, triangles and different, you know, different patterns, two birds here, two birds here, get them retrieving, throw a bumper to the right and get them sent on that. Something that they didn't see get put out. And, uh, it's, uh, it honestly, I never train. Every dog is different. Like, I don't think I, I probably have never trained two dogs the same way. Cause each dog, you know, each dog, uh, like advances and matures different than one another. And you got to do, you got to use, you know, different techniques to keep them uh, interested and improving compared to the next dog. Hmm. That's crazy. So they're kind of like human beings. Yeah. You know, like you got, if you got, you've got two kids that play basketball and they're not, they're not always going to be the same. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what drills you run them through. You're going to have to work one more than you work the other. Mm-hmm. One's going to be naturally better at dribbling the basketball. One's going to be naturally better at shooting the basketball. Same thing goes with dogs. One's naturally going to listen to you better. One's naturally going to have a better retrieve, and you know, and, vi- and vice versa. Do you see that you have a lot of problems with people that have kind of like forced their dogs to do stuff that that may may not be the best thing for them to do? Like. Uh, like as like for like what do you like what do you have for an example? So like if a dog is forced to, uh, I don't, I don't even really honestly know. I was just thinking like if a dog is kind of ruined in some type of a drill, is there any way of returning it back to what it should be? It's like for um, instance, I, if a dog became gun shy early on, correct? Yeah, you okay, so, so we'll start with that one. That one's a tough one. So yeah, that's a good yeah. One. So you can. I have fixed gun shy dogs before 99% of trainers have that are willing to spend any amount of time with a dog because it's not, it's not easy. Like that client is going to want to have to spend the next two months on just me fixing that gun shyness. Um, and it, it's all that, you know, you're basically starting back from ground zero. You know, you're starting with clapping two by fours together while the dog's eating food while it's concentrated eating food you're making background noise pots and pans two by fours because it, it basically is imitating a, a 22 shot decibel wise then you move up to a 22 in the field and you move up to uh to 410 and 20 gauge and, and hopefully eventually you could get that dog back up to a 12 gauge and where you're shooting over it and multiple gun gunshots going off over it um Gun shyness is is very difficult and frustrating. Like you cannot push the dog. Like if you if you if you're out doing some bird work with it and it's making good good advances and you shoot a twenty two over it and you see that cower, it's time to do something else for the day. So even if that dog cowers, you want to end on a good note. So if that dog excels at retrieving, go take it to do some retrieving drills. So it's not getting put away at the end of the day, like, oh, I'm scared. You know what I mean? You always you always want to end on a good note. But like with gun shyness, you really, you really can't push a dog. You gotta let that, you really gotta work at that dog's pace. Gotcha. 
No, that makes perfect sense. So coming back to a dummies question like me, you know, I've never been on the hunting dog end of the spectrum, we'll say. So say somebody goes through and gets a dog from you with no background, yep. no experience. What I'll say the top three things would you recommend them to either implement into their day to day or advice for them to keep that dog working and not get spoiled? Um, so the, the biggest thing, um, uh, not so much as, so I'll, I'll basically tell you like, so when somebody brings me a dog and I train it and I send it home, I'm basically going to tell, uh, people who buy pups, something in the same aspect, you know, like, uh, you know, if you're going to train it for waterfall, don't like, don't be afraid to ask me questions. But say you sent me a dog that was seven months old and I kept it till it was a year old and we did five months of work on it. Now, say you sent that dog to me in December. So we train December, January, February, March, April. That dog is going to sit May, June, July, August, September, maybe even till October, six months before it's work. If you let that dog sit for six months, it's going to lose almost everything that it just learned. So I always send guys home with 10 minute drills, five minute drills, you know, just take them out for five minutes every morning. And then in the evening, take them out for 10 minutes and do this. And you do, you do have to keep dogs sharp, especially if you, from a training aspect. Now, as far as pups go, the biggest thing is um, like, don't burn them out, which is huge. Like, People will keep playing fetch and fetch and fetch and fetch and fetch with like an eight month old puppy, not realizing that after a while that puppy is not going to find that fun anymore because at that, at that stage, it, it is fun. That's the only reason they're doing it is because they find it fun. Once dogs get older, it turns into a business and they learn that like, I enjoy this. I enjoy doing this, but I enjoy going to get the bird after all the training. The reward. And so, yeah. And so like, that's probably the biggest thing that I, I, I tell people, like if they start working there, like don't work, don't, don't overwork your puppy. Like, let it be a puppy. Like, don't, don't be afraid to bring it around. Like, you know, if you're working in the shop and you're using power tools, like don't be afraid to, you know, let it be around loud noises. Or if you're going to go to the campground and you know, there's going to be fireworks, well, as long as there's fireworks, if there's fireworks going off, just make sure that, you know, you're holding your puppy or when they start, you know, they're about to start, give your puppy like a hot dog or, or wet dog food or something. Because as long as their mind is off of this element of surprise, if they're eating and then they hear it, chances of them getting shocked and scared are a lot less slim or a lot more slim that it's something bad is going to happen out of it. Gotcha. No, that makes perfect sense. So I think a lot, a lot of people fail at that. Right. That's that's where a lot of the problems come in because they they'll they'll bring the dog around. You know they want to show off their pup at the local gun club. Yeah. And then they start firing off rounds or whatever the case may be, and then that's I can think that's where that kind of stems from. Yep. Now trans translating that over into uh, like a a shed dog. You know, same rules, same questions, because. I know watching Ruby, I don't think you could burn her out. I don't think it was possible. No, <laughs> it's still that bad. <laughs> yeah, no. So like, especially, especially not now, but like, like 
when I knew Trevor was going to get her and we, we picked that, we picked her out for trade, you know, we decided which one he was going to take. Cause I had another red female in that litter and Trevor decided that he was going to take that one. And from the, the moment that he decided, I started working her with sheds. Actually, I think Trevor's got some pictures of her somewhere like mm-hmm. six weeks old, actually bringing back like a little four corn shed that I always played with her with, but I just played with it. I wasn't, you know, we weren't, I wasn't doing like, an insane train. You know, I wasn't doing P90X out there with a seven week old puppy. <laughs> nice. No, but I think one of the things that I've learned as far as like a shed dog goes is it, that dog's life revolves around a shed. Yep. Like no matter what, like, I mean, a lot of the times they use their nose, but a lot of the times too, it's a visual thing for them because they're constantly around them. They're constantly yes. playing with them. It's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's especially like the big moose sheds. You can f- kind of see it in her when she's training is that finding those moose sheds, it's more of a visual thing than it is a scent thing. Yes, it is. And that, and that goes both ways. Shed dogs, bird dogs. You can't excel with just your nose because there's going to be lots of scenarios where you got to, the dogs have to use their eyes. So you're looking at the best of both worlds when it comes to a dog uh, that is a gun dog. Yeah. Or a sporting dog, I guess we'll call it. Cause yep. shed dog's not a gun thing, but. And, and it, it's one of those things that, like like you said, like kind of that regimen is you have to make sure that that dog stays sharp. Like the dog constantly, five minutes at night, five minutes in the morning, is yeah. playing with sheds or retrieving and just starting little and going big, you know? I mean, and that's that's how I am with my, my bird dogs, too, is the same exact way. Like constantly playing with wings. And, you know, I had my Brittany seven weeks old with on a on a string on a fishing pole with a, with a, um, with a wing and pulling it around and getting her to kind of like stop before she goes in and attacks it. Um, and that's how you just kind of instill that whole pointing part of it. Yep. Yeah. Sight pointing. Yep. 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 And so then like, like with that, like that's how, when I would have, I would keep, oh, I'd always keep a couple pointing labs out of my litters and you'd always get them sight pointing. But there comes a point where like, like, and you know, with training Brittany's like, you have to start getting it to where they can't see it because then they start, they don't rely on their nose. They rely too much on their eyes. Correct. And so it's, it is, it's a very good base, like right away, like to keep them sharp and, and just to work on, especially like if, like if you're trying to work on, you know, how high they hold their tail, like a lot of guys are picky about that. So the, the, a lot of guys will use like a sight point and say you have an English pointer, they want that tail at 12 o'clock straight up and down they don't want it nine o'clock they don't want it eight o'clock they want that tail straight up and down and so how you fix you know you just slowly push up and it's sight pointing so while they're pointing then you're petting them and putting them up putting up you're you're literally pushing the tail up yes yeah that's wild do they do that with labs too with pointing labs I never do. I never touch the dog's tail. If a, if a lab is going to point, you just keep working on making that point stronger. <laughs> just letting them point. <laughs> yep. I think that's a difference between a lot of people. I mean, I, in the dog world, I think that there's just like, there's so many different avenues that you can go down. You know, like, it's like, it's like, it's like in real world, it's like the Corvette guys, the, the Ferrari guys, and then there's the working truck guys, you know, yeah. like, and I think that's the same with the dogs. Like, I think Dev, me and you are kind of on the same page. Like if that dog works and hunts and does what it's supposed to do, then that's good enough. You yep. know what I'm saying? I mean, and then other people, 
like they want field trial dogs and the other guys want hunt test dogs and you know this dog's got to be perfect and do this and do that like i kind of go into it with any dog that i have is that dog's a pet if it hunts and finds a shed or finds a bird it's a bonus man you know what yeah. i'm saying like i'm not going to be out there you see a lot of trainers or not at trainers but a lot of hunters you know, they'll, they'll have a dog trained and then they'll be out in the field yelling and screaming at the dog. Like what enjoyable is that for anybody, for the people you're hunting with or the dog, you know, like who wants to see a dog get screamed at the entire time? Like just have the dog go out there and have a good time. Yeah. You know, and it like, and it's one thing, like I brought out, you know, inexperienced dogs to go guide at like the pheasant farm and stuff like that. You know, you know, we'll start to walk and, if that if that dog is completely not listening to me and just it just being a young dog and an experienced dog, I will go, you know, I'll apologize to the hunters and I'll go put that dog back and I'll get out a more experienced dog because I don't want to ruin their hunt. You know, they're paying, they're being out there to hunt. You know, it's different with if you're with buddies. You know, if me and you were to go out pheasant hunting up here, I was like, hey, you know, like I got the, this new dog. We're let's, I'm, I'm only going to bring him. You know, he might end up getting out 100 yards. And all the roosters, we were going to shoot wild flush, you know, 150 yards out. And we don't even, you know, we have to spend an all day walking. But that's, you know, a lot of times that's the difference between hunting with buddies and, and, and paying clients. Right. So you would kind of have, but, but how does that dog then learn to be like that in front of paying customers? Just hunt and hunt and hunt. As hunting much with as, buddies. <laughs> yeah. Hunting with a lot of buddies. <laughs> it's okay if you let your buddies down. Don't yeah. let the client down. Yeah. Well, seeing like the one like eventually i like all my dogs to get to the point where they listen so good that any my cousins any of my buddies could be like hey Devin, i'm gonna go out pheasant hunting or i'm gonna go out goose hunting in the morning i need a dog now right now all i have is young dogs preachers a year and a half callie is three and a half preachers bomb but she only got to hunt last year because the year before she was pregnant so she's only got one one season, a season and a half under her belt. Mm -hmm. And she is, she's going to have pups here early October. So she's not going to have, she's not going to get to hunt at all this year. And so like, I'm really, I'm really lacking dog power this year, but like with chief chief listened so good and he loved to hunt so much. It didn't matter. Like you, for instance, if you came up here to hunt and I couldn't go, I could tell you to go grab chief out of the dog building grab his dog blind, put his collar on, and he would go and he would hunt for you all day long. With with no, with never hunting with me with, before. With never meeting you before. Wow. And that, and so but that, that came with time. That doesn't happen overnight. No, no. And like, that's what I'm saying. Like my young dogs now, there's no way. But by the time they're like preacher, but by the time he's three, so he's one and a half now. This is his first real season of hunting. Last year, he just followed chief around. Uh, I was hoping he was going to get to follow Chief around this year too, but of course things God decided differently for me, um, and so he's really got his work cut out for him because he's my primary dog, and I'm I'm waterfall guiding full time this October. I'm sure I'm going to be pheasant hunting. Ivy Shorthair is going to have pups. My female Callie's having pups, and so Preacher is literally like my only dog, and so he's really going to get get run through the ringer this year, and. Uh, It'll be good for him down the road, but, you know, same thing. When he's three and a half, I'm hoping he can be the same way where if my little cousins, my little brothers are going to go hunting and I can't go, oh, go grab Preacher out. He'll hunt for you. 
and a lot of people don't realize that you know like like myself I, i'm very hard on ruby because yes. i feel like it needs to happen tonight tonight like you need to listen the best you need to do everything <laughs> the best like i don't care whatever and i get so perturbed because i'm like well she doesn't sit long enough or she doesn't yep. or she doesn't do that Trev likes like, those instant oh, results you know it's you get mad about it you know yes. it's, it's, i think a lot of people are like that honestly every everyone every Every client I ever had to deal with was like that because I, I would always post pictures when I was training full time. And I, I had times before where I got a dog in and say in like May and then a dog in in June. And by July, the dog that came in June is ahead of the dog that came in May. And that client is just on me. I'm like, well, do you want me to ruin your dog or do you want me to train your dog? Right. And so, so like, a lot of the, when you're having them tough sessions like that, the best thing that you can do is just back off. And like I said, something that she does good, take something that she does great with like, you know, whether it's so like, even with chief, when he got old, if he was being the old asshole that he was every now and then I would make him sit, I'd go walk a hundred yards and I would throw that bumper and I'd make him swim 150 yards. He'd grab that bumper. And he would bring it back to me and we'd be done because we ended on a positive note. And it's always, it's always best when training a dog to end on a positive note. Don't put that dog away, letting it fail. Cause then it feels like it, it, that it failed. Yes. Like even, even a puppy, like don't, don't, don't throw a bumper and it, it not go get it, go pick up that bumper and throw it shorter, throw it five feet just so it grabs it and brings it back to you. Like never, never, ever, ever end on a bad note when you're training a bird dog, shed dog, any, any, any kind. Don't end on a bad note. Makes sense. Like that's what, like that's the one. If if I had to give one training tip, that's it. Like never end on a bad note. Fair enough. And and then that dog knows that it was a positive, ended on positive, and then yes, starts yes. again on a positive. Yes, exactly. And then you just it constantly, but it takes so much time. It does. Like you have to work, and I tell everybody this too. With with anybody who asks anything, is it just takes ten minutes a day. If you got yeah. ten minutes a day, you can train a dog. But do you yep. really have ten minutes a day? You know how long ten minutes a day every day is. Yep, it's a long time. And then people, you know, like people lax. Like I lax a ton. Like in the summer, it's so tough. I have such a tough time keeping up with the dog. Yeah, and I'm like so nervous of what's going to happen this season, because what's going to happen is we have the summer. And then we go into deer hunting. I can't yeah. run her in the woods. Like, we're deer hunting. So yep. then what's going to happen come shed season? Then I got to reteach her again, you know? So it's like, it's one of those things. I need to find time and kind of work with the dog now and kind of freshen her up. And But you don't want to run her in the summer, too, because it's so darn hot out. It, it is hot. So you got to be careful because, you, like, you could, you could burn a dog out then. If you're working her when it's 2 in the afternoon and it's 95 degrees out, that dog's going to run for three minutes and be shot. Right. Well, that and the cold too. Well, maybe not for you. Some of your dogs <laughs> hunted in the in the negative eighties. Yeah, yeah, dude. Chief, me and Chief used to pheasant hunt. We pheasant hunted. I've got the one bird. I only mounted one bird from Chief. That's my biggest regret. I only got one bird mounted from Chief. Uh, but we were in college and uh, we pheasant hunted for a week. We went to my dad's. We stayed in Lincoln. We pheasant hunted for a week, and it was never with the wind chill, never warmer than fifty two below out. Yeah, you can have that. I'll tell you what, though, every, yeah, yeah, until, until about day four, I was putting udder balm, you know, for cows. Yeah. On their udders. I was putting udder balm on his, on his, on his balls and his wiener. 
Oh yeah. So that it wouldn't get chipped and and, and get chapped. And about day four rolled around and, and he hopped in the back of the truck and we seen a rooster in the ditch. So we bailed out to go get it. And I go to load him in and he's sitting, he's sitting on a, on a old, like a Brown bed sheet and he's bleeding. And I'm like, I start checking his paws, you know, looking for like an ice cut or something. I can't find nothing. And he turns around and he's just got these freaking cherry tomatoes just hanging between <laughs> his legs. And I was like, Oh, I felt so bad. Oh, <sighs> But, uh, he still wanted to i mean he still wanted to hunt like it did it, it did not phase him he wanted to keep going but uh yeah we hunted we hunted for we hunted for a week day i think it was halfway through day four chief had to uh he had to retire for the week but he uh that if that dog if you were hunting that dog was gonna hunt that's crazy man so you've kind of put him through the test of time oh he he busted ice before when it was single digits i mean he would come to shore with ice hanging off of him pheasant hunt when it's 50 below out that that dog wanted it and then we bring all those dogs to the east coast and look they're like it's like being in hawaii for them all year round right oh i know i ivy had a short hair go to california and that Ooh. thing was born that thing was born when the heck was that that litter around i think that was a spring litter and that thing probably thought it was going to to the desert it was probably dying of heat exhaustion when it got down there wild <laughs> that's priceless well Devin, man you know what time it is buddy we got one question for you dude and that's that is what drives you outdoors you know i just uh honestly it's uh just just the memories just the authenticity of it um you know i started hunting when i was six years old, six, seven years old with my uncle and, uh, just get, you know, bringing my little brothers out, my little cousins, anyone, anyone who wants to go and just, you know, just making memories, you know, that's, that's honestly what I enjoy the most is just being able to, to reminisce on, you know, the previous season or the hunts before. So. That's definitely important. That's one thing I, I guess nobody's really talked about that, that as far as like, you know, bringing a lot of their family out. Cause like everyone's always like, Oh, I'll bring my son or this or that, but you're always bringing out whoever you can as a client, you know, having clients. Yeah. And like, I mean, you've seen already Ren's three and a half and she's, she lives to go goose hunting. Like she wants to goose hunt. I know it was opening day. She was out there with her little pad. She's always in the deer blind and with her little, uh, like iPad, iPad and yeah. just doing it. Yeah, she loves it. She woke up day after day after opener. We went hunting opener day after she she wakes up at three in the morning. She comes in. She goes, Daddy, are we going hunting? Let's go hunting. I said, no, not today. Jeez. Oh, man. Jeez. I'd pack up the truck and bring her hunting. I don't know oh, yeah, what you're waiting shut for. Up. Yeah. I was tired, man. <laughs> oh, well, you've been farming a lot, too, right? It's been pretty crazy for you. Uh, I work too much. Oh, sh what happened here? That's never a good thing. Ah, uh, there we go. Uh, Did you have technical yeah, difficulties? No, I, uh, yeah, I've been busy farming, busy doing dogs, and and it and it's about to get even busier with two litters on the way, a newborn, and guiding. I mean, I got seven hundred acres of soybeans yet to take off, and and uh, the next the next three four weeks is about to get really really crazy. Wow, and it, how's the deer season been so far for you? Uh, well, the day before opener. At Ivy's blind, she had she had one of our shooters that we've only seen about half a dozen times this year was in twenty yards from her blind at six thirty in the evening, uh, day before opener. 
Nice, nice six by five with a uh, about a two inch kicker off of its left G two. Ouch. Ugh. And then she's pretty much down for the counter. Is she still hunting? Yeah, she's still trying to get out, but it, you know, it's not easy. You know, being uh, eight months pregnant isn't too easy getting out to to the blinds. Uh, so, poor girl, because she's she's some. really the hunter of the family. We know that. We we are yeah. well aware of who the hunter is of the family. Yeah, she always gets first dibs. <laughs> you do it right. Happy and then you wife, got, happy have, life. Yep, yep. And, yep. <laughs> and then three girls to follow behind. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna, gonna be like anything. number five on the totem pole, shooting <laughs> shooting spikes every year again. Right, but see, here's the thing: is you get all of them their stuff early in the season, and that's the rest of the year you've got that. Well, I've got to try to catch up to you guys. You guys are so much better than me. I've got to go more, you know. And you play it. Yeah, to your that, that's true. That's, that's a good true. outlook on that. Honestly, I never thought of it like that. I mean, it's all about perspective, man. It is about perspective. I'm gonna have to remember that now. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Get them deer. Let them shoot velvet bucks, and then I'll go chase them and run. There you go. The most important time of the year. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, where can everybody find you? How can they get a hold of you? And uh, how can we sell out your next two litters for you in the next? Well, as soon as they're down. As soon as they're down. Uh, uh, wild wild prairie gun dogs is uh, is my kennel and training name we're on facebook instagram uh facebook instagram devin tumla as well uh and that's that's about that's about it i've got a website for wild prairie uh you can contact me on there too and uh that's about it outstanding well everybody out there listening go give them a look i'll tell you just from watching ruby over here with trev the dogs that come out of the kennel are phenomenal that pup, and yes, I say pup, first year out, has picked up more antlers than me and Trev did on our feet in the last two years combined. So <laughs> check them out if you're looking for a shed dog. If you're looking for a bird dog, you're going to have to talk to Devin because I don't know what to tell you about that. <laughs> Either way, it's a good time. He knows what he's doing. And in the meantime, we appreciate, appreciate you guys for staying tuned. And uh, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive. <laughs>